needed Nick to preach one more time for me, so he is doing that this morning. It's been um, a, a true honor to be able to have um, him preach and teach for us um, throughout his time here. Um, and uh, um, so um, we're going we, to, I said, let's, let's do it again. You know, one last hurrah, if you will. Hopefully it's not the last hurrah. Hopefully it's not the last, so. Scripture reading this morning comes from John 21, verses 15 through 19. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told them. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, follow me. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Thanks be to God. Have you ever felt dirty before? Yeah? Yeah. No, never. Jess been clean his whole life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, no, Jeff's just hyd- hydrophobic. He can't, can't shower or bathe for whatever reason. Um, yeah, but like dirty on the inside, like from the inside out. Have you ever felt that way? Yeah. Uh, I remember the one time when I was a kid, uh, just briefly, one of, the, one of the first palpable times I remember feeling that kind of guilty type of shame. My mother had, um, I was just old enough to be able to go out and do things with friends. Um, I was around the age of nine or 10, where our, our mothers were still taking us to the movies or whatever. And we went to the movies on this particular occasion. And my mother had a $20 bill, and she told me, just get a movie uh, ticket and just get a pot bag of popcorn, um, and that's it. I do not need you to spend any more money whatsoever. She was trying to teach me how to be responsible with what I was getting. That was uh, what she was attempting to do. Um, and it would have gone great had I paid her any mind whatsoever. Um, but man, when she, this was the first time I ever, you know, walking into the movie theater, you have like the games on the right or to the left where all the little kiddos um, play, uh, what have you, Pac-Man or the Machines or, um, or, or you know, the, the Big Game Hunter was one of the ones uh, and stuff like that. But I was fascinated with the claw. And I just wanted this, this elephant so badly. I didn't care at all. So I proceeded to spend everything that my mother had given me except for a dollar and 75 cents. I remember that. 
Um, and I brought it back to her and she, you know, knowing how much a movie ticket cost and how much a bag of popcorn costs was like, where is the rest that I told you to bring back to me? And I was like, at that moment, pulled out this elephant. <laughs> and uh, she proceeded to explain to me how I had made a poor decision and how uh, that amount of money, uh, I could have bought 15 of those at the Dollar Tree or what have you, uh, but instead I squandered all that money uh, on this elephant and I just felt so yucky from the inside out. I felt unclean. It was, yeah, I, I, again, one of the earliest memories. I'm sure we can each name something like that where we really kind of palpably felt that for the first time, probably in our childhood with our, our parents trying to teach us a lesson for good. Um, and I'm describing guilt and shame, um, but there are things that do make us feel dirty. It's kind of hard to explain, but even if you watch something that's just gory or, or whatever, you feel like you need to take a bath, like you've seen something that's somehow defiled you, and you're just Ugh, like, I need to wash. Well, you know, we have a hard time thinking about this idea of cleanness and uncleanness. These are words that we toss around in the biblical space, um, but that type of Ugh, type of uncleanliness was a part of Jesus's culture and a part of, uh, of, of first century Judaism. And so there were many things, you know, listed in the law that made you, ugh, made you unclean, that you needed to wash from. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend that it was the main thing, but it, it dominated the culture, at least in certain really big sects um, during the first century, is that ritual washing was a big thing. In order to be kind of in proximity to God, you had to be clean. And so this was taken um, seriously, and you're, you're probably sitting here thinking, wait, I thought we were talking about Jesus and the lambs and the shepherding, but we're talking about ritual cleanliness. Um, but the cool thing about the Bible is when we are given different lenses, because the Bible is not written to us, it was written to an ancient people 2,000 years ago, and when we put on these different lenses, we can peel back the curtain on things that we just miss on maybe our first or second or even our third reading of a text. And so today I want us to briefly just look at a text through the lens lenses of this clean versus unclean, this purity versus kind of defilement. Um, I'm in a class on John right now, or on the Gospels, and one cool thing, so we're talking about, you know, uh, what is like perhaps the most authentic parts of the Gospels, and my professor argues, I won't belabor this, and this is a sub-point, but argues that basically the most mundane details, um, the, a light motif, if you will, again, not the main point, not a main motif, but kind of this tertiary type of thing, may in fact be the most kind of authentic type of, of thing. And that's for scholarly discussion. But basically, he traces um, quite well, I think, this idea of purity, cleanliness throughout the Gospel of John. And we talked about it this week, so this was perfect. Just queued me up great for, for this week. But yeah, but there is a clear, discernible pattern of purification, cleanliness that runs through John. And again, we would just read right past it. So taking that lens, thinking about this purity, cleanliness, 
let's look at where we've gotten so far in John. So we have two characters in this story. One is Peter. He's the focal point, you know, Jesus. Jesus is the main character of the Bible. You know, you hear that there are obviously Jesus, Jesus and, and Peter. But Peter is the focal point. But where are we with Peter? Those of us who have grown up in church and are familiar with the gospel stories, what has Peter done at this point? We're at the end of John. This is a resurrection appearance. Yes, Peter denied him three times. John 18, um, Peter denies Peter denies God, 18, uh, 15 through 18, denies, denies God, denies Jesus when someone asks him about him. And there's a couple of verses later, he denies him twice, two times. When you do something three times in the Bible, it's significant. So it's like this wholesale, no, 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 no. I don't know who Jesus is. I don't know who Jesus is. I don't know who Jesus is. I don't know this man. I'm not associated with him. It's a big deal. Now, think back to the memory that I just described. Think back to your own experience of shame, of dirty from the inside out. Would you be thinking that Peter would probably feel a similar way now confronted with the man that he claimed he didn't know, whom he loved, and whom loved him, who loved him? Yeah. So, do you think Peter was shameful? Do you think that he felt he needed to take a bath to wash himself before coming to God? Well, he actually does take a bath. It's pretty, it's pretty funny. Last week, um, we looked at the passage immediately, immediately preceding this. And so this is the text, if you're here last week. But if not, um, the disciples go out to fish, and they're catching nothing all night long. And then Jesus you know, appears on the shore, and and they don't recognize him at first, but he says, cast the nets at the right side of the boat, and they pull up a bounty of 153 fish. And when they pull up this great number of fish, Peter exclaims, it's the Lord, this one whom I've denied three times. But again, mundane details are pretty fun. Uh, So in verse uh, 7, Peter puts his clothes back on, presuming he was naked. Peter was naked hanging out in this boat, which I just think is hilarious. Uh, it's just, you read between the lines. He doesn't have any clothes on, and it says, he puts his clothes back on, wraps them around himself, and dives into the water. And we presume probably to swim back to the shore, right? So he's so excited. It's the Lord to swim back. But what's funny, it, it then describes the rest of the disciples that were fishing, um, paddling back, and the next scene, you meet them at the shore, and Jesus has made a fire, and he already has fish there. And so these first disi- the first disciples, carrying a big load of fish, were the first ones to get to Jesus. Now, if you were dragging a boat full of fish, and someone who was about 100 yards away jumped in the water, free of any weight, just swimming, do you think that they might get back to the water before you? Well, author clearly tells us that, that Peter gets there after. So what was Peter doing? What do we think Peter was doing in the water? Again, we're reading between the lines a little bit. He was bathing. 
he was washing himself. A, he was naked before the Lord, so that may have caused him to be shameful. But he sees the Lord, and in some sense, putting ourselves in his shoes, feels this dirty from the inside out type of feeling that we all are familiar with, and jumps into the water saying, I have to make myself clean before I go and see this man. How, how greatly have I wronged him? I must make myself clean before um, I go and see him. So Peter has denied Jesus three times. And if there's one thing we know about denying Jesus, it does not end up well for you. <laughs> you probably, if you ever find yourself in that situation, it's probably not going to end up well for us. 2 Timothy 2.12 says, If we disown him, he will also disown us. And so what, we, what I think we're seeing here is a Peter that is totally preoccupied with trying to present himself as ritually clean as possible before Jesus. Entirely preoccupied about that. And that's where we are. That's, that's how we, we get to where we're at. That is this lens that we're trying to look at this text. So how, then, does Jesus deal with this? You have a disciple who's doing his very best to present himself as clean, as washed before you, even though you know what they've done and they know what they've done. Well, in last week's text, and Mark brought this out beautifully, he invites them to a meal. Jesus invites this disciple, Peter, to come and commune with him, to have a relationship with him, to, to reinstate this relational dynamic that, 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 that they've had from the very beginning. And that was in last week's text, and, and this is immediately where we get to um, in verse 15. And in this week, what Jesus is doing in this text He's restoring Peter, and it's somewhat cryptic, right? It seems like they're talking at two planes and just missing one another. Um, but what's beautiful about this poetic structure is that Jesus is purifying Peter. You see, Peter's sin was threefold, and John or Jesus asked Peter, threefold, do you love me? And so just as Peter denies denies, denies, Jesus is inviting him to love, to love, to love. He's taking his sin and he's reversing it. He is restoring Peter. So if this is the Jesus, we have a disciple who's really, you know, obsessed with, it seems like, purifying themselves, making themselves clean. And this fits with Peter's MO. If y'all read the Gospels, Peter's just like the laughing stock of the whole, the whole stinking thing. He's just constantly putting his foot in his mouth, constantly trying to uh, yeah, position himself as the greatest one to um, presume on Jesus, and that gets him in a lot of trouble. So this is perfectly on brand for Peter. But when you have this, and you have a Jesus who invites to a meal— who restores, who purifies. What does this teach us about Jesus? Is Jesus worried about our ritual cleanliness? 
does not seem so. Jesus is worried about our moral purity, our wholeness, our purity, wholeness, not cleanliness. Peter is concerned about the exact opposite. How can I present myself? How can I put on my facade? How can I, even though acting grievously, not repent? Jesus initiates the action. But how can I present myself as clean? So Jesus is concerned with our moral purity, not our ritual cleanliness. Jesus is also showing us that he is the source of purification. That's what's cool about this motif that we learned uh, this past week. When you look at this through the lens of this moral kind of uh, the kind of challenging the status quo, if you will, of this uh, this uh, ritual cleanliness, cleanness. Jesus is constantly saying, "No, I am the source of purification. I am the source of cleanliness." You see, you become pure not through adherence to ritual washings, not through washing yourself, but by relationship and proximity to the one who is the source of all purity, Jesus himself. You see, and that's the scandalous message that our Jesus came to preach and how he sought to change the entire world, not through rote obeisance, but through imbuing the world with the holiness of the Father that only comes through participation with the Son. See, we just baptized our very own child, and I don't recommend baptizing your child and preaching the same day. Um, it would make you an emotional wreck if you're anything like me, as I am. But we, we washed our child. We bathed him in essence. But it wasn't the water that was making him clean. No, we believe that participation, when you're baptized, you're baptized into the death of Jesus Christ. You're baptized into his blood, and you're raised one with him. All of us, the body of Christ himself, the source of all purity. And you see, we are we're no different from Peter. To think, to think, to read on the Gospels and say, I would never do that is uh, arrogance. Um, and I'm sure we've all done that. You see, we've all grieved Jesus in our own ways. We've all denied him once, twice, threefold, fourfold, eightfold, however many times. See, in our own sinfulness, we deny our relationship with him. We say, I don't know you. I don't want to be around you. And we align ourselves with our desire to govern ourselves, really, our pursue our selfish desires, to make ourselves God, to say, Jesus, I don't need you. You might as well go die. I can get this on my own. As well, even though we have relationship with Jesus, and maybe we've been walking with him for a while, long time, maybe some of us a short time, we can feel this compulsion, just like Peter, to make ourselves clean before coming to see him. How many times in your life have you heard, as soon as I stop sinning, that's when I'll come to church. That's when I'll start taking my faith seriously. Let me get my own stuff cleaned up. 
Let me dive off the boat and wash myself, purify myself before I come into, uh, before I come into the presence of Jesus. Even in perhaps a small but somehow poignant way, we wake up in the mornings on Sundays, we'll get showered, we wash ourselves, we put on our fancy clothes. Uh, most Sundays for me, that's a Carhartt t-shirt. Um, <laughs> I'm a little fancier today. And we slap a smile on our faces before we come into worship. We try to make ourselves clean. We try to see ourselves and make ourselves appear as pure. Ironically, before we step into the place where we become very most pure. And that's who our Jesus is. See, like Peter, after denying the Lord three times, we get preoccupied with trying to make it right on our own power. It's like putting a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound. Instead, this is our Jesus. He does not ask us to clean up before we see him. You see, in actuality, Jesus even seeks out the truly wicked, the worst of us, the scum of all humanity. That's who he invites to his table. And so to think that Jesus is worried about our cleanliness when we come before him is laughable. No, he seeks out us because we are truly wicked in our own ways. And all he's doing is imploring us to commune with him. And in doing so, that's where we are purified. He makes us whole. He forgives our sins. However many times. For Peter, it was three. Peter, do you love me? He says, feed my sheep. You see, Jesus is the source of holiness and purity. And by joining with him, by participating in his life, by coming to the table and communing with him, he imbues us with this holiness, which fundamentally changes how we can relate with him and also the rest of the world. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do. You know I love you, Lord. Then feed my lambs. You see, Jesus doesn't purify us for our own sake so that we're in the in crowd and not the out crowd. We're part of the elect, not those who are outside. The hoi loi poi. But you see, Jesus' holiness is contagious. And so when we take seriously the call to strip away whatever facade we feel like we need to bring before the Lord, whatever cleanliness, whatever boxes that we have to check off before we can come and, and release ourselves before God and our sinfulness, he asked us to take that away and he makes us holy and it's contagious and he gives it to us to share with the world so that, like Peter, we can feed his sheep. See, that's the call. It's not only for our own sake, but Christians, and I'm quoting my professor, Dr. Craig Blomberg, um, and this comes from one of his books, um, Contagious Holiness. Christians taking more of initiative to spread the purifying power in the midst of sin 
corruption rather than being corrupted by the world or separating from it out of fear for such corruption. That's the call. That's what Jesus is doing. That's who our Jesus is, who says, come as you are. The table's open. Your seat is open. I'm even here pulling back the chair, inviting you to come and just be with me. Whatever you feel like you need to fix, don't feel like you need to fix it. I will fix it. I'm the source of purification, of making you whole, not only clean, but whole. That is our Jesus. And that's who we can come before at a table such as this. That's who we can make promises to. We can claim the covenant promises for generations and generations, even on our young ones, knowing that maybe they'll deny Jesus, but he will be faithful as he has been faithful with us. And those are the promises on which we can claim Jesus, the purifier. Just pray with me. Lord Jesus, we come, God, stripping ourselves of the pretense, stripping ourselves of the facade, the idea that we can do things on our own. We can make ourselves clean. And God, that's your desire. That's your work. That's your faithful to do, Lord. All you're asking is to come and be with you in the presence. God, we pray for your presence to purify us, to make us whole. And God, in doing so, I pray that your holiness would be contagious to all those around us. Lord, that when people see us, they say, there is something different about them. I know their life. I know their stories. I know how hard it's been. God, how do they look like that? How can they behave in that way in the face of so much? And God, we want our answer always to be you. So Lord, I pray that you make us that people this morning. God, that by joining in your blood, God, that we would also get to reign with you as we do now in heaven where there are no more tears. <laughs> They're all wiped away. God, make us whole. Make us long to be whole. It's in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit that we pray. Amen.